0: Well, hello, Westwood family. It's great to see you today. My name is Ben, Pastor Ben Griffin, and I'm just honored to get to bring the message uh, here, near, and far across all of Westwood's campuses. So today we're continuing our series in the book of James and a pretty fun series so far, diving into the practicals of faith and action. And today we're in James chapter two and we're gonna be looking at our faith is expressed in action. How do we show up? How does that happen in our lives and how does that move? And I just want to tell you right off the bat, if you are a follower of Jesus here, this message gets to the very foundational block of what it is to be a follower. And, and built on this is where we find contentment and joy and peace and all these amazing things that come with following Jesus. And I'm going to say right up front here too, my goal for us today is that you would lead a questionable life. Yeah. Let me just say that again. That you would lead the kind of life that other people question because of your faith in action. So, so for instance, uh, I have a good friend uh, who uh, is about my age, my stage in life with kids. So you know when your kids are little and you always want them to take a nap? Like uh, we're at the stage where we take naps so that we can stay up late enough to still see our kids right when they come home right so so he's at that stage and when you're at this stage you start thinking about okay when all the kids are out of the house what's this going to look like well he just got a call a couple weeks ago and uh, from the foster system that said hey we have two 18 month old kids twins and we need a placement for the next year at least you have 4 days to decide and they they it was not easy but it was a clear decision for them like they knew god has shown them such grace and compassion that even though their life was moving a certain comfortable direction, this is, this is where the, what they decided to do. And some people would say, that's questionable. Hey, here's another one for you. Uh, many of you know Pastor Sammy Wagnone, uh part of this church, leads Merge and Shine Ministries, pretty amazing guy. I don't know if you know this part of his story, but talk about faith and action and a questionable life. You know, a few years ago, a number of years ago, uh, Sam, Sammy was praying that God would provide a wife for him. And some of you who know him know this part of his story. He set up a tent in his backyard and he went out and he prayed every day, every night. He just pleaded with the Lord, would you show me who it is you want me to marry? Would you provide a wife? And then one day he's like, God told him, I've provided a wife for you. You're getting married this next summer. He's like, Praise God. So he went and he talked to his board for his leadership and he said, everybody, I just want to prepare you. Hey, I'm getting married this next summer. And they're like, that's awesome. Who are you getting married to? I don't know. <laughs> I just know God called me. I mean, this is amazing. And if you talk to them and Suzanne is like at the same time in her life, they hadn't even met yet. At the same time in her life, she just felt like God was telling her, this year, I prepared a man for you. This is coming. And within, it I wasn't even a year, within six to eight months, they were married. That's questionable. <laughs> Sammy, I don't know, not, not in this service, but that's questionable. And, but uh, to really live a life of faith in action is to live a questionable life. The one, like so secure in the things of God, do things and act in ways that the rest of the world goes, man, what's going on with them? So let me say this. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, first of all, we're glad you're here but maybe you're here because somebody in your sphere is living a questionable life. And you're like, hey, I, I want to know what's going on here. Why do you hope, have hope when it doesn't feel like that you're in a hopeful stage of life? What, what is it that's driving you? And, and you're here with those questions. We want you to know we're here with you in those questions. We'd love to connect with you. Connect up front here or the meet and greet or connect with the pastor here. We would just love to do anything we can to support you in that. Now, here's the thing about faith. Faith is not the super attractive church topic. Faith, it's not, we're talking about faith today and everybody shows up. If it was peace, if it was finances, if it was joy, man, we all show up for those messages. But I feel like in this, faith, it's kind of similar to uh, a flight attendant and pastors are kind of in the same place when it comes to talking about this topic, right? How many of y'all have been on a plane and a flight attendant is talking about life-saving truth, and you're like, could you just get this over with so I can watch my movie? <laughs> Am I right? I mean, preachers, we feel the same way sometimes. Some, some of you are like, my goodness, like, this is a good nap today, I guess, or, you know, like, it, we're, we're talking life-saving truth of faith, but we're like, man, I just, I wish he was talking about joy today. Why? Because on the airplane and often when we're in places like this, we don't feel the urgency Like you don't feel the urgency of the need for the information the flight attendant is giving you. And I think the same thing in our faith. We don't always feel the urgency to talk about saving faith, our eternal souls until something in our life shakes us and it suddenly becomes the most important thing. Hey, I was an intern pastor in 2001. A month into my time as an intern pastor, 9-11 happened. Before that, I, I saw the church I was in was half full. After 9-11, that place was packed. Why? We collectively as a country had an urgent need to talk about matters of faith. We had an urgent seeking for the deeper things of God. And I just want to say this. I'm praying today that you would have an urgent desire to know the deeper things of God and faith, not because your world was shaken. Some of us need that but I'm praying maybe today you'll hear it without having to be shaken. I think about my kids and their faith walk. Man, I, I literally pray that they will have boring testimonies. Any other parents like that? Like I pray like when they're ch- called in front of the church, they're like, people start falling asleep. Like what? what, did nothing happen in your life except for just always loving the Lord? That's what I want to happen. At the same time, If it takes them being completely broken, shaken, and going through hardship to see the glory and goodness of truth who God is, then I pray that they would know that. Now today, maybe you're in a place where you are shaken, maybe you're not, but this truth is relevant for all of us. For all of us. And so let's dive into it. James chapter 2, we'll pull up the passage here. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith But has no deeds. Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. So what is this teaching us? It's telling us that our faith shows up in action. So a lot of times people take this passage and they want to talk about uh, are we saved? or Is our heavenly well-being based on how good we are or on our faith? And, and I'm just going to say, let's start from the get-go with this assumption. James is coming at this, path, at this teaching in, in alignment with 100% of the rest of the scriptures, which is that none of us are good enough to earn God's favor. Can you just look at the person next to you and tell them, you're not good enough. Yeah. But God is. Tell them that too. But God is. Yeah, you're not good enough, but God is. Uh, it, just as an example, uh, how many of you would say that you're, you're a pretty good ping pong player, ping, ping pong ball player? Anybody? Yeah, I would, I would say, or at least I would have said, I'm a good ping pong player. Like, there, there's not a 12-year-old west of the Mississippi that I couldn't beat. <laughs> right? Like, I felt pretty good. And I was talking to a friend of mine once, and I was like, yeah. He's like, you play ping pong? I'm like, yeah, I play ping pong. I'm pretty good. He's like, okay, great. Let's play. Well, I showed up to play with him. And, he, like, you know you're in trouble when, when like, a guy's ping pong ball paddle has its own case. It's like, ch like I am not ready for this so he pulls it out did you know there's rankings in ping pong like like my ranking is probably in the negatives but he could tell me like here's my ranking like this guy played and I think he assumed because I said I'm pretty good that maybe I had a ranking I didn't so when we started playing this is what happened like we, we volleyed a couple times and he was like oh okay I see what's going on here and I felt like I was a toddler playing against a grown man so he basically said how about this I'll start at zero. You will just have to get one point on me and you win. Guess who won? (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Wasn't even close. Yeah. So if, if me being like, what's the difference? Like being good when I'm comparing myself to 12 year olds, I'm pretty good. When I'm comparing myself, like the level of play is increased. I am not very good. And this is what we do in, with, our, with our goodness. We go, well, compared to, like, you know, Clint, I'm pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I am. But, we, but what Jesus does, what the Bible does, what, the, what God has done, he's raised the level of play is perfection. None of us are good enough, which should make us so incredibly thankful for the goodness of God. That Jesus... Is good enough and that he paid the price for our ticket into God's favor. Wow. So so this passage is not saying if you're good enough, you have faith. It's saying if you have faith, it will show up in your actions. If you have faith, it's going like if you actually believe, it's going to show up in how you act. So Francis Chan, great speaker, has an illustration that speaks to this. I just want to pull it and adapt it in my own way. So I'm going to share it this way. Um, those of us who, who have children, who have chores in your house, um, imagine, imagine this scenario. You, one of your chores for your children is to empty the dishwasher. And you say, I'll just take my son, for instance. I'll say to my son, hey, it's your turn to empty the dishwasher today. And imagine that this is his response. Dad. That's awesome. I know, already it's a little strange, but imagine this. He goes, dad, I love emptying the dishwasher. I love everything about the dishwasher. He goes, listen, I've got the manual to the dishwasher right now, right in front of me. I have been studying this thing. Like, listen, tonight my friends are coming over and we are going to read through and memorize information about how to best load and unload a dishwasher. I'd be like, son, that's amazing. And then imagine the next day I get up and I look at the dishwasher and it's not emptied. I'd be like, what? but it's like, but we know everything about it, but you didn't do anything. Like, faith, real faith. Isn't just knowing all there is to know. You can know the Bible inside, and in fact, out. In fact, in the, in, the, in the New Testament, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, knew the scriptures inside and out. But Jesus said they're like whitewashed tombs. Alive looking on the outside, but dead on the inside. So faith without action, he's just saying that it's dead. It's not a real faith. But faith, belief that's real, it produces something beautiful. And real, it, it moves us. In fact, real belief informs behavior. Uh, there's a quote by Craig Rochelle. He says this. He says, what you believe about who you are and who God is determines how you behave. Now, I would make this argument. There are a lot of Christians who, who say that they believe in God, but their life gives no evidence of it. Would you agree? There are a lot of Christians who would say they believe in God, but but the evidence of their life says the opposite. Now, Craig goes on to say this. He says, if you believe everybody is going to criticize you, you'll behave cautiously. If you believe you're probably going to fail, you're going to venture out tentatively. If, however, you believe that the one true Lord God is calling you, empowering you, leading you, and equipping you, then you will live boldly. Why? Because boldness is behavior born of belief. Whew, can I say that again? Boldness is behavior born of belief. Knowing who God is moves us to boldness. Like this is the testimony of the Apostle Paul uh, in, in the New Testament. Like he he got he had a living, he had an encounter with the living God, everything in his life changed. So much so that you could not stop that man. Right? He got shipwrecked. He just kept going. He got bit by a snake. They're all like, watch him die now. He didn't. They they literally threw rocks at his head, put him in prison. Half of the Bible in the New Testament is written by Paul from prison. You couldn't stop him. To live, he said, is Christ. To die is gain. Go ahead and take my life. I'm still gonna be better off because his faith was so secure. Now let me say this, and I believe this to be true to the core of my being. If just 10% of people who attended churches in the United States believed with a faith like that led to boldness, the world would change. If just 10% of those who say we believe God, we come to worship him every week, walked with the boldness that Paul reflected, I think our world would change. I think everything would change. Now, as you're listening to this, you might start thinking, okay, I need to shift my behavior. Because this is what we always do. We get into behavioral modification. I'll act this way. This is not a message about changing your behavior. This is a message about impacting your heart. But this is often what we do in the church. And, And here's the dichotomy that does this and I'll, and I'll break this down for you it, it goes um, it's the yeah you, you guys are good you, we're making sure it's the right slide but it's, uh, it goes like this way too often the historical message of the church has been if you behave the way we want you to behave then you can believe the things that we believe and then you will belong to our community do you see that So often we've led, or when I say we, I'm saying pejoratively the the church at large has led its message to the rest of the world of morality. God wants your behavior and you must behave this way. Now, let me make an interesting aside here. Isn't this what our culture is doing to our church today or doing to Christians today, but with a different morality? Isn't this what our culture is telling us? That they want us to behave a certain way and believe a certain thing, and then if we do, we belong. How does that feel? I'm sure, I'm sure not enjoying it. This is not, by the way, the way the gospel is laid out or the way Jesus lived it out. He started with belong. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Not when we were good enough, but while we were yet sinners, he laid down his life for us. Jesus hung out with the outcasts, the sinners, the prostitutes of his day. He didn't say, I agree with everything about about what, I don't agree with what you you are thinking or we are not all on the same page, but he said, I love you. And then they came to believe in him and in believing it informed their behavior. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like the, the living a moral life does not come from disciplined action. It comes from a a confident belief in who God is. And so let's get to that. How do we define faith? Uh, Here's how the Bible defines faith using Hebrews 11. It says this, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now the word for the year, this year for Westwood is confidence. So confident assurance. Now I wanna point out something about this that we often miss. Actually, first I'll do this. Uh, To summarize this, here's how I would say it. One simple phrase. Faith is confidently trusting God to be who he says he is and acting accordingly. I'm gonna say that again. Faith is confidently trusting God to be who he says he is and acting accordingly. Now, the way we use the word faith in English is different than the way the word faith is used in in the Bible in both Hebrew and Greek. Because in English, we kind of interchange the word believe, faith, with hope. So let's just take, for instance, um, your favorite football team. Let's assume your favorite football team is the Vikings. Is that true of anybody? Okay. All right. So you might think, hey, the season's coming up. I believe the Vikings are gonna win the Super Bowl. (laughs) Do you really believe that? (laughs) No, what are you actually saying? I hope that they'll win the Super Bowl, right? And and maybe the Vikings are a bad, you know, example because, I mean, does anybody believe that? So let's pick another team that has a little bit stronger chance. Let's just talk about the Packers. Ooh, ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let's be honest. They don't have a chance either, okay? So let's pick another team, the Kansas City Chiefs. They've won two of the last four Super Bowls. You can say that they're the dominant force right now coming into this next year. If you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, anybody in the room there here a fan? All right, we got a couple. All right, great. So if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, you might be saying, I believe Mahomes is going to lead us to victory again. And even that, you're still saying, I hope that he will. Even that is not the level of confidence that it, the scripture is using when it says have faith. Faith. It is a confident assurance. I lay my everything down. I surrender all hope. It, 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 is, it is a confidence that this is and will be completely. You see, when you have a real encounter with the living God, it changes everything. And some of us, I think, have had a secondhand encounter with the living God, but not a firsthand encounter with the living God. Right? You've seen him through other people, you've heard people talk about him, but have you experienced and seen the fullness of who he really is? And I would challenge you that if you're wondering, like I want to have a real encounter with the living God, ask him. And, and, and then do this. Romans, the book of Romans tells us that creation itself gives testament to the glory of God. So pick pick anything in God's creation. And learn and study it. And I guarantee you, as you dive deeper and deeper into it, you are going to find that you are amazed at the complexity of his creation. This is the testimony of a guy named Francis Collins, by the way, who literally wrote the book on biology, on human biology. Like he, As he looked at the complexity of, of, of biology, human biology, he was like, there, there must be a creator. This is unbelievable. I, I want, I'm going to spare you from this but I once did an entire message on how the ecosystem in your belly button gives glory to God. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. And if you don't believe me, just Google belly button ecosystem and look at the complexity that's going on right there. Now, I don't want your testimony to be, well, I started studying my belly button and it led me to deep faith in God. Like, I don't want that, but if that's what it takes, study it. Because to see the fullness of God and his complexity, even in the most, most awkward of places, he, he's amazing. Now, some of us also have had encounters with God that are much more personal and direct. And I can just think in the last couple weeks, like, And we need to share these testimonies. I was at a meeting and we were talking about micro-schools and wanting to start more micro-schools, looking at what's happening in the education system, seeing the beauty and strength of this model of kind of the bringing back the one-room schoolhouse. And, and as we're in this meeting, we're talking, we're like, well, what do we need to make more, get more micro-schools off the ground? And it's like, well, we really need two things. We need the funding to make it happen and we need people who feel called to lead these. And so in that meeting, somebody goes, well, I think we've got the funding for that. We're like, oh, praise God. And then, and then we're like, well, who's going to lead it? We're like, we have no idea. Like, okay, well, let's pray about it. The next day I had a meeting that would have been pre-set up with somebody. And I didn't know the topic, but as we're talking, he goes, man, I'm just trying to discern what God's called me to. And I don't know if you've ever heard, ever heard of this thing called micro schools, but I think God's calling me to start one. I was like, oh. Amazing timing. I just had this meeting last night. And some people would call that coincidence. I call that providence. That's God in in action. God's moving. God intervening. God hearing prayers and responding. And the more and more we see him, the more faith. And faith responds, shows up in action. Now, in the book of James, chapter 2 and following, and we're going to put the sections up on on the little screen here, James gives two examples of faith and what this looks like, and I want to pull from them. First, he talks about Abraham and his action made his faith complete. Then he talks about Rahab, the prostitute, being another example. And I love that James uses these. So for all these people who are like, it's all about good works, it's like, and his example was about the prostitute. Like there's something about this that's more than just. That faith, faith is something deeper, something more. So let's look at Abraham first in that example. Abraham, his name, means father of many. In fact, God named him that. His name was Abram, which meant father, and he changed his name to father of many. Now, can you just imagine this? At the time Abraham was named father of many, guess how many children he had? Zero. Zero. So Father Abraham had many kids. Yep. No, at the time, zero. So imagine meeting Abraham. Like, oh, your name's Abraham. You, you, you know, like, oh, so I'd love to meet your family. How many kids do you have? None. Why was he named Abraham? Because of the promise God had given him that he would have children and that those children would become numerous. And, and not only that, but he was at a point where his, his wife was like at the age of not being childbearing age. And he's like, but Abraham's my name. And then when God gives him the son of the promise, miraculously, God asks him, would you be willing to sacrifice that son, even la- surrender him? And parents, can you think of anything harder? I mean, just, just think in prayer how, how we, we very rarely say, Lord, truly we trust you with our children. Usually we're like, we trust you, but if you could do this and do this and watch over him this way. And like to truly trust him, Abraham surrendered all. And it was counted to him as faith. Rahab, this is what it says in Joshua about Rahab. This is the heart of her faith. Uh, So she's talking to the Israelites who are on the roof. She's been hiding them uh, and and against against her own people. And this is what she says. And these are her words of faith. I know the Lord has given you this land. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. Go to the next one. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea. Heard about what God has done. And then jump to the next slide here. I'm just going to get to the heart of it. She says this, For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. She saw that God was the supreme God, God Almighty, and acted accordingly. Now, what does it look like for us to live a questionable life, to see God for who he truly is, And act accordingly. I want to give you a couple examples, uh, and and then and then lead us in a time of prayer in in just in just putting these things before the Lord. So this is going to feel a little bit like Bible trivia. I'm going to put a a couple of images in front of you, and I'm going to ask you uh, if you can if you can discern where in the Scripture this is referencing. So let's put up the first one. All right, Can can you guess what Scripture reference that is? Yes, feeding the 5,000. There are two fish, five loaves multiplied. So five loaves and two fish multiplied. And, and here's what I'm getting at here is that when, when we believe that God is our provider, then we show up as people who don't worry even in the middle of hardship. I mean, anybody here have things that keep them up at night? Do you believe God is your provider? Now, we don't live in a culture like even as inflation is going, most of our pantries are well stocked. So most of us aren't looking at our provider and saying, God, I need the necessities of today. We have clothes, we have food, but we still were desperate for him as a provider. I wonder if, if it isn't actually a blessing that the older we get, the more pain we have. Now, hear me. Because I've noticed this. The older I get, the, the, more, the higher percentage of time I spend talking about the pains in my body. Can anybody else relate to that? Yeah, yeah, it's for real. And, and what happens is, like, as you get older, you get these pains and, and, um, and injuries, and, and man, they're, just, they're not the same as when you're young. When you're young, when you get an injury, you always have a good story with it, right? I was playing football. It was our rivals. It was a championship game. And at this, just at the moment, I took him out, but my leg crashed snapped the wrong direction, right? It's like, oh, that's why you're in crutches. When you get older, it's more like, yeah, I got out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) Really, that's it. Yeah. I turned a little bit the wrong direction, right? Yeah, one of you is like, your neck's probably like this. You're like, this is exactly me. Yeah, and I wonder, like, as we get older, because we tend to put our trust in our health, our wealth, our our other people. Like, we start to see these things are only temporary. You put your faith in them, they will fail you, right? So, I count it a blessing that our pains remind us that we are temporary, and that the promises of God are eternal. So, when we say he, the five loaves and two fishes, we trust God as our provider. By the way. I do a practice every week that helps remind me of this. I do a fast every Tuesday uh, up until a certain hour of the day that it's called a fast of dependence, which means on that day, every, every, every week, I don't eat anything unless it is explicitly given to me. And it's amazing to me how, because I'm just praying, Lord, you provide, and I will, only, I will only take what you provide. It's amazing to me how often on Tuesdays is when incredible moments of provision or answers to prayer show up it got just the exercise of saying god i trust you and your providence. Okay, here's the here's the second one. And uh, we'll put this image up. See if you can gather what reference what we're referencing in scripture here. Yeah, this is a hard one. I don't hear anybody murmuring. All right, I'm going to give you a clue. There are 7 lines, big ones at the bottom, thick lines, and 70 smaller ones. Yes, 70 times seven. This is referencing where Jesus is asked by his disciples, hey, how many times should I forgive my brother? And I, and I love this passage because it was taught by the rabbis at the time. Like if you, forgot, if you forgave three times, like that's all you had to do. After three times, you didn't have to forgive anymore. It was like three strikes, you're out. And Jesus is like, nope, you need to forgive 70 times seven times, which is essentially saying every time. Whoa, every time. Now here's where I'm getting at with this, is that if we believe God to be our redeemer, the one that has forgiven us and the full depravity that is in our lives, then we should show up as people who forgive other people. And I know this is a challenging one because some of us are holding on to things we don't want to forgive. You don't know what they've done. I'm telling you this, this is actually living in freedom. When faith expresses itself in forgiveness, the result for you is living in freedom. It's powerful. It's so powerful. And, and it is questionable. Like you will see, these are, these are probably the things that people question more than anything else. There is a story, I don't have time to get into it, but of a woman whose son was murdered. And as she went to confront the, murder, the murderer of her son, they began to connect This person, they began a dialogue and it didn't start positive, but over time she forgave him and she now treats the man who murdered her son as if he were her own son. That just feels scandalous. It's questionable. How could you do that if you didn't, if you weren't overwhelmed first by the redeeming power of God Almighty? So here's a third one for you. I've only got a hundred of these. Just kidding. Here's a third one for you. Now go ahead and put it up there. All right, can you tell the biblical reference for this one? Ooh, I hear it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So everybody is bowing down to the king at the time, said, bow to me as if I am God. And they stood for the things of God, even though the culture around them was bowing elsewhere. This is if we believe Jesus, if we believe God to be our king, We do not bow down to the things of this world. We stand firmly for him. Amen to that? That's not a, a, we're done, amen. That's just, are you with me, amen? We stand firmly. So if we really believe he is king, we stand. Okay, I have another one for you. And this one is a totally different type of image, but I think you'll recognize what this is. Go ahead and pull it up. All right. So this is, these are Legos. Right, And has anybody ever done an expert Lego set? And I I know as adults, sometimes we're like, well, I did that with my kid. or Yeah, that's great. Even if you're doing it on your own, it's awesome. But here's the thing. This is is step 41 and 42. What do you think we're making? Yeah, it's impossible to tell, right? You might say, well, it could be a car. Maybe it's an engine. Maybe it's a Batmobile. I have no idea, right? But I think this one is, this is what I want to get at here. If we believe God to be sovereign, if we believe God to have a plan, even though we can't see it all, we can trust in God. Because here, you only see in the Lego creation, step 42 or 41, take this piece that I've given you and place it here. That's your job. What are we making? He's got the bigger picture. And if I could ask Clint, thank you. Hey, this is a good work. This might count for you, Clint. Yeah, thank you. So Clint brings this up, this is what we're making. It's a Lamborghini. Man, I didn't see that at step 41 and 42, did you? No, I didn't at all. But God has a picture bigger more full than we have like you look at the old testament prophets they were given all these pieces to place about talking about the messiah to come we have the privilege of looking back and being like the cross the empty grave jesus that's amazing but it actually tells us the new testament the prophets were like how is this all going to play out but aren't we in the same place today he said he's going to come back that every knee is going to bow before him and we, all, we just have our peace. You do this, you do that. But he's got, we don't know exactly how it's going to work. Even though people will tell you, here's how it's going to end. We don't know. He does. We trust. So we trust his bigger picture. And this is what I want to get to. And it boils down to these beautiful words in Proverbs chapter 3 that go like this. Trust in the Lord with all. all. And do you know what the Hebrew word for all is? All. <laughs> trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And learn, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So hear me. This is urgently and eternally important. Faith matters. And when faith is real, it shows up in who we are and how we act. And here's the first act of faith is to trust. So I'd like to close our message today by inviting you to stand with me and we're gonna pray a prayer of trust. I'm gonna actually to ask you to take your hands and hold them out as if you were presenting to the Lord the things we're praying. And they're gonna play some music underneath and I'm just gonna share some things, some topics and, and just ask you to surrender in your heart, in faith, that trusting God and his bigger picture Trusting him and his redeeming, greatness, power, kingship, just trusting to him. So, so let's do that. And the first thing I want you to, to picture in your hands uh, before him are, is, is your work. Let's just start with your work. The things that, that are going on in your work life, um, in your activities there, would you just present them to the Lord? Lord, I surrender these to you. for this next one um, I'm going to ask you to think and pray for people by name would you pray for your family if you have children your children uh, if others Lord that you care about that, that you stay up at night thinking and worrying about or actively taking care of would you present them Lord I surrender them to you you love them even more we hand them to you Lord they're already yours and our future. Lord, we just place into our hands here the, to present before you, Lord, We present, we lay before you our future, our hopes, our dreams. We trust it to you. And now just for all the things that keep us up at night, whatever it might be in your world, would you place that and present that, surrender that, to our King, who is our Redeemer, our Provider, who sees more than we can see and is more than capable. Yes, Lord Jesus, hear our prayer. Amen.